hungry. Ain't got nothing for you, Tuffy. You like cats, don't you? Yeah. They're on their own. They don't need anybody. Well, this one could do with a friend. So could you. You're trying to make me go soft. Well, you can save your oil. I don't go soft for anybody. The following film podcast frequently contains adult content, including foul language and descriptions of adult situations. Spoilers for the films discussed occur often. Listener discretion is advised. Now take it away, Dr. Rausch. (laughs) They must be destroyed on sight! And welcome back. It is They Must Be Destroyed on Site, episode 183. And I'm your host, Lee. Looks like you've been on a hayride of Dracula Russell. And I'm joined by my co-host, Daniel. I don't go soft for anybody. Harper, how you doing, sir? <laughs> With that introduction, there's really nowhere else to go. Currently <laughs> not soft. That's, no. that's true. Hayride with Dracula. I missed that line. That's a good That's a good line. Yeah. No, yeah. When Veronica Lake gets to Laird Krieger's uh, nightclub, and no. I believe, and they talks to one of the girls there, and she's like, "What happened to you? You look like you're in a hayride with Dracula." And she's like, "Pretty much." <laughs> so yeah, this is uh, the start of uh, Jeff Williams' month. So we're going to be going through some selections from him, his recommendations he's been giving us over the. I don't know. It's it's been more than a year now. I think hasn't it? Maybe it's been a while. He's been, been giving us uh, he's given us a lot of a lot of recommendations. Yeah, so uh, we're going to be looking at two of them tonight. We're going to be looking at This Gun for Hire from 1942, and we're going to be looking at Woman They Almost Lynched from 1953. Uh, But before we get into that, I will just mention briefly, I was on the latest episode of Movie Melt, where we uh, covered Winter Beast, which is a uh, crap classic that took years to make and uh, not a lot of money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and uh, it was a lot of fun. It's a good episode, even though, uh, and I even apologized to them in the their Facebook group. Uh, it's like, wow, I was drunk and surly in that fucking review. I was just rudely talking over people and drinking excessively, but, I mean, it's kind of what you do. Uh, that's what you do when you guest host on a podcast. That's just the way it goes. Mm-hmm. You just you just take it over. You that, just, there's just no other in. way to guest host on a podcast. You just show up and drunkenly talk over everybody else. That's the... Yeah, it's that's the, the only reason people invite you on a podcast. Like that's that's the reason. Yeah, it's the bull in the china shop kind of thing. It's like every once in yeah. a while people need their their shit disordered. So that's what I did for them. <laughs> I put the link in the old uh, show notes, and you can go check that out. We do have a few comments here. We do have one from the uh, man of the hour himself, Jeff Williams. Here, he just left this today, I believe, on the uh, Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook. Go there, and you can see comments like this and make comments yourself. And he's basically just talking about these two films together here. He says, highlights include Laird Krieger disdaining violence, though instigating a whole heck of a lot of it, and Joan Leslie uh, brawling like a common hussy. (laughs) And he has that in quotations, because that's a quote from the movie. Um, He says, also keep an eye out for Anne Savage of Detour fame as one of the saloon girls in Woman They Almost Lynched. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. We have two YouTube comments. (laughs) 
They're not good wait. ones this week. I can't wait. I can't wait. <laughs> so this first one is on. Jack our... didn't really get this experience when he was on for all those weeks. No, we barely had any ones. terrible YouTube comments. You know. Yeah, we pretty much got the good ones. We had a couple confused people asking where the movie was, but that was about it. I mean, that's just you know, yeah. He he didn't get the he didn't get the absolutely like ridiculous ones. So uh, yeah, like, yeah, lay them on me, lay them on me. Okay, so this one, this first one is from someone called Noyuman Jut, and I'm assuming a Punjabi uh, gentleman of some sort because I was trying to translate what he put on YouTube here, and I didn't quite get the entire sentence, but I got the gist of it. Uh, sure. He says Terry Ma da Chola, and I managed to find out what Terry Ma means, and it's basically saying your mother, and then probably yeah. fuck something. It yeah, you're. Yeah, uh, so thanks, uh, no human. I was gonna make a joke, but it would probably just come across as racist, so let's just move along. Yeah, let's just, it, you know, yeah, no, just, 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 just we'll, we'll chalk it up to a language barrier. The poor, yes. uh, the yes. poor gentleman thought he was actually getting the movie and he didn't realize it was a podcast because it's all in English and it's probably not even a second language for him. So there you sure. go. Fair enough. Yeah. And then we have one from someone called uh, Lawrence Ovra Albia. And he, this is on our Bad Day at Black Rock episode. First off, he goes, puts disease down for falling asleep. Uh, much like Jeff Goldblum's famous, now eventually, do you plan to have the dinosaurs on your dinosaur tour, right? Um, eventually, do you plan to talk about Bad Day at Black Rock, right? And well, yeah, we did. We even have like an even good comment on that video already, as I recall, right? Like, mm-hmm. there is like one like really good comment on that one. So, apparently, someone thought we did a pretty good podcast. There's a couple people liked it, and I pointed out to them if you actually looked at the comments down below, there was someone actually pointed out here's where the Bad Day at Black Rock talk starts. 32 yeah. minutes into the podcast it's like so you know just look at that it's like oh yeah he just he just went on about how you guys talked yourselves into the fucking ditch and the podcast isn't all about you we we're, we're coming to listen about the movie and i'm like fuck you dude we do this for fun this is our hangout this is our fucking chill time we eventually get to the fucking movie but uh we we want to have some fun and bullshit and if you don't like that fuck off basically it's just yeah yeah, you, you will you will be refunded the zero dollars that you get charged for that podcast, especially on YouTube. You yeah. click a button. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like like I get I you know I get I get people who don't like podcast banter. Like you know I I have mm-hmm. I have a varying depending on the hosts I have a varying uh, kind of a uh, uh, tolerance for it myself. You know there are podcasts that I really enjoy that do like three minutes of podcast host banter. And I'm like, I just need to skip through this, you know, um, <laughs> just because I just can't take the banter. Um, and then there are people where, you know, yeah, you can just sit and talk for an hour and a half and I don't care, you know? So, you know, I, I get it. Like, but also, um, yeah, no, we're not professionals here. This is, this is us just hanging out. So, you know, whatever. Yeah. And, and also we're witty and charming as fuck. So I don't know what his yeah. fucking problem is. You just fuck right off. Yeah. So we have nothing really to talk about that we've watched in the last little while, so uh, we can really just jump into our break here. Uh, So we're going to play some podcast promos, some music, and we're going to come back with This Gun for Hire. How about throwing a little beach party for yourself and letting these people to get to know you oh so better? Hey kids, it's me, your good friend Alistair, here to tell you about a wonderful movie podcast called Get Soft with Dr. Snuggles. 
What happens is, every two weeks, the love of my life, Siobhan and I, are joined by a cast of friends, family, internet weirdos, and special guests to guide you through the wild and woolly world of erotic thrillers and softcore films. Everything from alien abduction, intimate secrets, to Zarita, Passions Avenger, and all points in between. Check it out now on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's that horrid man talking about? Hello, and welcome to Hello, This is the Doom Show. I'm Richard. And I hate the burning. Shh, who are you? Speak. <laughs> and I'm Brad. She came in and said, bark, 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 and he said, bark, 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 and she said, bark, 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 bark. that's what I got. One is the Suspiria boner, the other is the Inferno boner. <laughs> which, anyway. Which one is crying? <laughs> The boner of tears. <laughs> Hello, this is the Doomed Show. Is available on Hello Doomed Show. and Doomed Moviethon. com. Hello. you dangling on my love I've got you and I'm enjoying it fine you had me right where you wanted me that's the way I love you had me ah but the tables have turned I was one out of 50 in your address book oh what a spot you had me in but today you're the sucker for the shiny hook And you'll never wriggle off, you can bet your bottom fin That I've got you right where I wanted you Dangling on my line I've got you and I'm enjoying it fine Cause I'm not yours anymore, you're mine Cause I'm not yours All right, this gun for hire from 1942. So you're a copper's girl. Who told you that? He was here looking for you, and he'd better stay away from me. Veronica Lake, who burst on the screen like a blonde bombshell. Alan Ladd, who's dynamite with a gun or a girl. Together, they blast all screen traditions in This Gun for Hire, drama-packed story of Philip Raven, whose search for vengeance on the man who betrayed him puts a hundred policemen on his trail and forces him to hide behind a girl. Watch it, cover. It's Raven. Do what he says. You stay where you are. There's a dragnet out for you, Raven. It won't do any good to hurt her, so use your head. You better stay put. Who trusts anybody? You couldn't very well complain to the police, could you? I'm my own police. What could you do? First, I'd find out who you're stooging for. And I'd give him what I gave Baker. Don't I? I can't stand violence. 
Then I'd whittle off a little of that blubber. You still want that stuff from Gates? Of course I do. Help me out of here and I'll get it for you. What was that hot air last night? That flight waiter. Okay, I'll shoot it out with him and I hope your copper gets the first slug. Directed by Frank Tuttle, who did a million films. Uh, most I don't think I've seen any of his other films, but he's done a million of them. I see the name and I just think Brazil. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I notice a lot of the like actors and directors and writers and stuff in these in these two movies we did. They all pretty much started like in the the silent era, and so oh, they yeah, did no. a shit started ton. Nineteen twenty two. Wow, and this mm. is selected filmography. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Written by Albert Maltz, W.R. Burnett, and uh, this is based on a novel by Graham Greene, and Frank Tuttle even had a little bit of uh, say in the script here as well. So this is starring uh, the lovely Veronica Lake as Ellen Graham, Robert Preston as Michael Crane, Laird Krieger as Willard Gates, Alan Ladd in his first sort of big featured role. Uh, he, he'd done like 30 or 40 fucking films before this. Uh, and just like bit parts and stuff. And this was the one that launched him as Philip Raven. Tully Marshall is uh, Elvin Brewster. Mark Lawrence is Tommy. Olin Howland as Blair Fletcher. Roger Imhoff as Senator Burnett. Pamela Blake is Annie. Frank Ferguson is Albert Baker. Victor Killian is Drew. Patricia Farr is Ruby. And Harry Shannon as Steve Finnerty. Synopsis here from Rob Crawford on IMDb. Hitman Philip Raven, who's kind to children and cats. Kills a blackmailer and is paid off by tra- traitor William Gapes in hot money. Meanwhile, entertainer Ellen Graham, girlfriend of police uh, Lieutenant Crane, who's after Raven, is enlisted by a Senate committee to help investigate Gates. Raven, seeking Gates for revenge, meets Ellen on the train. The relationship gradually evolves from that of killer and a potential victim to an uneasy alliance against a common enemy. And yeah, that's that's fair. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. The, st- the story is like exceedingly simple on the surface. And then there's like a lot of like stuff going on in the background, just espionage and intrigue wise. Well, there's, there's a lot of convenience where it relies a lot on like, there are kind of four people that oh. matter and they just sort of like, Oh, I just happened to be on the train next to like this other major character, you know? And <laughs> you just have to kind of go with that. <laughs> you know, it just sort of accepts that this is real. Once you accept all, all of that and just kind of take that as like, okay, this is the story we're, we're watching. I think it, it basically works. Uh, but you do have to accept like, there's a whole lot of convenience. It's just built into this. It's also only like 80 minutes long. Part of the reason that it works is that, you know, it really doesn't kind of stick around very long and it and just kind of like it, the, you know, the, the, you know, coincidences is a, um, you know, it is a driver of drama. I mean, that takes bad at, at least to Shakespeare. I mean, Shakespeare used it all the time. I mean, you know, it's kind of hard to, you know, kind of um, knock the film for being, for being too, 
<laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. kind of leaning into that that trope. It, it is it is really obvious <laughs> through much of the film that yeah, you know, we just kind of happen to uh, only be involved with the same few people who all know each other through various means. But um, but yeah, it moves so fast that you really don't care. Uh, well, it's based on a Graham Greene novel, right? Yeah. And like, it, there is this kind of sense of like, I kind of read the synopsis of the novel, and it does kind of make me think like, maybe, maybe some of this is a little bit better justified there, where like they had a little bit more, there's a little bit more connective tissue, and uh, you know, it seems like maybe, maybe like some things have just been kind of changed, and it's just kind of been made more efficient. But you know, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, and like I said, it, it moves so quick. It's it's so basically short comparatively to a lot of the stuff that you just don't really care in the end like it, it just no. it just go, it just brushes by it from scene to scene and it's like alan ladd and veronica lake are so interesting together even when even when fucking alan ladd is spewing out like really bad dialogue at times like some of, some of it's pretty bad I, I guess maybe it sounds fresh in 1942 to some degree but after just seeing so many noir films and and i guess and you, you got to kind of forgive it for that because this is kind of almost the dna of noir films right yeah, here. This, like, this is fairly early for noir, really. I mean, yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, you really don't get like kind of true noir for another, for another few years, I guess. I mean, not, I don't know. We can kind of define what noir means. It doesn't really, it feels very kind of detective film. I mean, mm. kind of, it, but it doesn't, it doesn't really feel very strongly. It doesn't borrow of those tropes. It's, it's a little bit more um, complex, a little more nuanced. It's, it's not kind of, kind of giving us that same kind of like black and gray morality stuff. Um, there's a little bit of that, but it reminds me a lot. I mean, just kind of functionally, it's a bit of a stage play, you know, um, yeah. I could see this kind of working on the stage again, you know, because you only have really like a handful of characters that matter. You know, uh, I think some of the staginess of it would kind of work better if you were seeing it, you know, again, on a stage where, you know, you weren't thinking like, so how do these people just happen to know each other? Yeah. You know, this was, uh, uh, this was done as a radio drama afterwards right. too. Yeah. So, yeah. It's also like, I feel like the first half is sort of just getting the pieces into place and that just sets up sort of the, the essential drama, which is, you know, sort of the, the Alan Ladd, Veronica Lake and their relationship. And that's really where the heart of the film is. Cause like for the first, you know, 40 minutes or so, I was really kind of kind of sitting there and just like, okay, this is, this is fine. I mean, there's, a lot going on. This is interesting, but it's not, it's not anything, you know, it just kind of, it feels like it's kind of just going through the motions. There's a lot of, you know, the, the roughness in terms of the character work and the roughness in terms of the, the, you know, kind of the plot mechanics. Um, it, it does kind of feel like, you know, it, it is just a little bit paint by numbers. And then once mm-hmm. you really get those two characters together and you kind of start building that relationship, that's when the film really starts to shine. And that's when you realize, no, this is the thing that, that we were going for. And it does again, in a more sort of modern sense, it does seem like if you were going to remake, this you would <laughs> basically just cut most of that first 40 minutes and then like make the whole film you know 90 minutes of the of that that kind of latter sequence and kind of give give that more more weight and that would also mean you could you could cut a lot of the coincidence which is really just kind of there to um justify the the second half in a lot of ways yeah and i and i say this is like the dna of noir because there's definitely like stuff here that i picked from um the samurai mm-hmm. like years and years later like you can you can see a lot of stuff here sort of a fr- really influenced sort of the, the french new wave stuff that came you know like 20 years later the opening shot is uh i, I believe it's the opening shot where, with lad in, in in his room and he's got the pet cat or whatever yep. just like uh alan Dillon in the samurai has his pet bird and he's in his room in the opening shot and and he, and, and he's very much the same kind of ruthless killer too like 
lad don't like people like he's <laughs> no, he, he, he has, does not <laughs> he has no regard for people at all like he likes cats and he feels sorry for the little girl in braces but you only learn mm-hmm. that's because he's kind of a cripple himself in a way like he like once you learn his past you kind of you kind of get where he's coming from even though it's still like yeah you're a guy i can't really get on your side at all <laughs> right and and the movie doesn't doesn't really ask you to get on his side. He's he's kind of a he's kind of a free radical in the in the whole thing in, in a way. He's, he's he's not the traditional hero. He's the anti-hero. I, I guess the guy, one of the guys who wrote this, um, I think it's W. R. Burnett uh, who did uh-huh. the screenplay. I think he was known for doing a bunch of anti-hero stuff. Uh, I, th- yeah. I think he actually wrote the novel Little Caesar that the film was eventually based on. If oh, I'm not mistaken. Right. Should have wrote that in my notes, but yeah, it's uh, it's it's in that character that you get the clearest kind of noir idea, you know, because he he does feel like he's kind of ripped out of you know, I don't want to say a better movie, but like a different movie. It feels like there's a whole movie focused on this guy, you know. It does just feel like there's a little bit of, again cre- a creaking plot in that first half that sort of sets up you know who this character is, and we don't necessarily need that. And a, a pure version of the story would just kind of like eliminate like 90% of that and just kind of give us that relationship uh, a little bit more. But um, also, you know, this is a kind of pretty clearly not a huge budget film. I mean, it's, it's a good film. No. It's well made and everything, but it does, it does feel like it's a little bit of a, it's a programmer, you know, this is a kind of, you know, it's a studio film. It goes through the motions. And so, um, uh, well, yeah. the budget was, um, I have two conflicting numbers for the budget on this. Excuse me, five hundred thousand or five hundred twelve thousand. Actually, I have it down to the cents: five hundred twelve thousand four hundred twenty-three dollars and sixteen cents, <laughs> which isn't super moderate. No, for no, nineteen forty-two. Um, no, I mean that's that's a decent budget. Even I mean, you know, certainly for the time, sure. And I think is that coming through on the. <laughs> the yeah, I can hear it. Yeah. Oh, fucking crazy. They're coming for you. Uh, it's an ambulance. If they're coming for me, they know something I don't know. <laughs> and, and you're right. Like it, it's very. Um, and, and to say by the numbers is is kind of again. It's kind of like you kind kind of make an allowance for it because it's kind of early in this genre kind of thing. But and that's not necessarily to be insulting. It's just to say no. like, this is a, this is a studio picture. It's a Hollywood film. You know. It's, yeah. It's, it's, it's a film of its era. That's doing well, the need, thing it's doing. Uh, just a lot of the kind of character dynamics, a lot of the like, you know, like Laird Krieger. I mean, there is some nice stuff. Like Laird Krieger kind of has the like, you know, conversation with uh, Veronica Lake, where he like kind of she comes in the car and it's like, are you gonna are you gonna snatch me? And it's like, no, I'm not. And then you know, like he they, they kind of get the back and forth, and he's like hiring her to to go and like find the guy. And then you know, but, but some of the lines, like you know, and you can't tell anyone, you know, you can't even you can't even tell your ho- your your boyfriend, you know. And it's just it's a little bit it's a little bit on the nose. And I mean, you know, you you could polish those lines just a little bit and kind of make it feel a little bit more organic. Um, it does sort of like take you out of the film. And I and I think that yeah. uh, even in two, it would have seemed like a little bit more. Uh, obvious than some of the other stuff. I think and that's not I a think, knock on the performers. It's just a knock on you know, like it just it just feels like you know, okay, we're we're just doing the thing, you know. Yeah, I, like I th- I think you know again, it's it's more Alan Led's performance and his character that's like the big draw here because yeah. you're seeing something there that you really didn't see so much of being asked to follow a despicable character and actually kind of maybe be on the side a little bit and, 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 and this sort of time period. But yeah, it, it starts off 
and it's got those sort of common things that you would expect in movies like this. Like you, you get the beautiful girl, you get the musical number with her, you know, singing. And, Although with uh, magic, that that, with, that was that was unique. You know, play, playing with balls. Um, yeah, playing with balls. Yep. Yeah, there, there, there there's some modern connotations to what she's doing there. That's uh, pretty hot, and especially if you, if you're one of like one of those people has the fetish for like opera gloves or whatever the mm-hmm. fuck. Like <laughs> that that shit is just. Uh, fat material for somebody out there i was and, expecting her to like end up being like a like a pickpocket based on like the close-up magic that she was really, doing you know yeah. with the cards and stuff i was kind of thinking oh she's gonna end up like stealing stuff no though they just completely ignore that it was like oh well, she okay. was she was she was flat out doing like almost real magic because they actually had to use special effects to pull off one of her tricks there, or disappearing oh, one where she. Oh, I, yeah. I, I'm sure there's I'm sure there's more than one. I mean, it's pretty yeah. pretty well edited. I mean, the one at the end there where you know, like, and then like very clearly they just cut to where mm-hmm. she's standing behind the pillar. Okay, that's that's a little bit obvious, but you know, either Veronica Lake actually learned to do like some of that magic, like for real. And, and it like, it's really effective or, I mean, there's some pretty good camera trickery there. And I'm, I didn't, uh, I didn't do a whole deep dive of Googling it to see, you know, kind of, kind of which one it was, but it was pretty I, effective either way. I think she, I think she did most of it. Like, I mean, some of it's obviously set up like where she pours the, the confetti into a guy's glass or whatever. I mean, that's obviously set up, but right. I didn't see any necessarily like, cuts in any of the tricks except for the disappearing disappearing one you can see a yeah. quick cut there and i like yeah, the, that the scene. card tricks the card tricks looked phenomenal like yeah. you know so you know. i mean I, obviously I imagine... she doesn't have to do them all in a row like to it like it's to a camera no. so she has an advantage there but uh but still no it's 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 well done yeah and i mean she i, I would assume she learned some of it because she's singing and like she's singing the the two songs she does in this right i imagine she learned the tricks as well but i do like that her manager in this like the guy who sells her basically to (laughs) wow sells her as an act not as a sex slave to laird krieger's uh, club (laughs) he's like i get my 10 percent or whatever and he's like for 10 percent, i dig up my wife's mother (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah no there's some there's some creepy stuff going on there you know where he, he's little... he... oh god well and he... and um laird krieger's character what's the character's name there um uh gates isn't it gates yeah yeah i mean he's pretty clearly like from the beginning he has that scene at the diner with uh, <laughs> uh alan ladd with philip raven mm-hmm. and uh you know they're they're having a very you know kind of obvious conversation about really shitty terrible things yeah. that completely in the open to whoever chooses to listen. Um, I mean, and Alan Ladd's literally like you know threatening the guy with a knife, <laughs> you know, like kind of right there in the moment. Yeah. But uh, Larry Krieger, uh, very obviously, uh, you know, meant to be this like kind of terrible glutton or whatever, you know, just kind of sitting in like you know, oh, I'm not done with my Sunday. I need to. You know, and, and and there is this kind of, you know, obviously there's some kind of fat phobic stuff kind of going on there. But, you know, it's pretty pretty clearly meant to be like, oh, yeah, this is a deeply un- – like, we've got cold-blooded murderer on one hand, and then you've got the real bad guy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. like uh, Jeff Williams' comment, this is, a, this is a guy who's timid around violence, constantly talks about how he just is – deplores violence, but – Everything he does sets up violence, like yeah. every move he makes, and he's just this wormy, amoral shit oh, yeah. who who is just like orchestrating all this. Well, and, and the whole plot is like he's selling poison gas to the Japanese, you know, yeah. which you know, <laughs> a few months into World War, into the like U.S. involvement in World War Two. I mean, 
A, there's a kind of complicated thing about like, oh, it would be fine if the Americans were using poison gas, right? Mm. We'll just ignore that element. Um, not that that, but but like for uh, audiences in 1942, that would have had like very within living memory the poison gas in World War One. Much of the audience would have had like personal like memories of that, you know. There's and, uh, yeah, there j- just like we saw in the uh, in the Rathbone Sherlock Holmes stuff. There there is this sort of American patriotism angle in this film. Uh-huh. But I will say, I, I kind of applaud this film. They kind of sidestep it a little bit with just yeah. how singular Lad is in it, how he's how detached he is from everything else going on here. In, in a lesser film, it would be like the girl tames Lad's heart and makes him stick up for his country and then become a patriot at the end. Right. And he never really does that. He He's still in this for revenge. And the only reason he kind of helps... Veronica Lake to any degree is because she was kind to him and that's about it like it, right. it it actually stems more from him not being able to trust people and finally being able to trust one person in the end than anything right. else yep. so yep. there's some really interesting stuff going on here underneath the just the sort of standard formulaic stuff and I think that's kind of what makes this movie still fondly remembered by people as you know something more than just your typical noir film I right think. yeah I, I like the other girl in the film. I, I didn't. I didn't catch the actress's name, but there's a uh, there, there's the the girl who gets like threatened in the phone booth. Who, oh uh, yeah, has the uh, who has the uh, the she's dress the, ripped at the beginning? Yeah, she's the maid at the hotel or whatever that right, uh, right. Raven is staying at. And yeah, so yeah, she goes up and she shoes away the cat, and right. that that just causes Raven to like just set off, and he rips her dress and slaps her like right across the face, and yeah. Yeah, I didn't look up her um, her name, but I really liked that um, that little performance, and uh, she has she has a like kind of a, kind of a great personality. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard to uh, you know shine uh, next to uh, Veronica Lake, who uh, this was my <laughs> this is the first film I've I've seen with her actually. Same here, actually, yeah. Um, and uh, I will. This will not be the last. I think. I think she. She. She's quite good. But. But I did want to. Uh, kind of. Again, I want to highlight that performance. Despite the fact that I did not look up the actress's name, and uh, I'm a terrible person, basically. <laughs> Seeing Veronica Lake here for the first time, really, um, definitely makes me appreciate Kim Basinger's uh, performance yeah. in L.A. Confidential. Like it's like, yeah, I get it. Like that. That just fits. Everything fits. Well, it's interesting that Lake, you know, kind of like later on, you know, by, you know, by the late 40s, early 50s, I mean, she was just kind of known as like, she she kind of descended into alcoholism and just, yeah. you know, it's kind of having some personal problems. And I mean, if, if anything, she's better remembered as, as a pinup than as an actress, um, but she's really good here. And I think that, you know, it is like, it is, it is kind of a shame that, I mean, she did live for many, many decades. I mean, she, she lived into the seventies, I think, but she lived um, to, uh, she died at age 50. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, her, her yeah her her last film, uh, uh, Flesh Feast or something like that right. <laughs> was was wasn't exactly a classic, but she she became like I I think she did like a a lot of like uh, USO tours or whatever like as, yeah like she did a, she did a, she did a ton of that stuff and she did yeah. like a ton of like uh, you know I think she did some TV kind of later in her life mm-hmm. and so she kind of known more like one of those like celebrities known for being a celebrity um you know who kind of particularly kind of the 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 ex kind of starlet to, you know, just kind of coasted. I think a lot of, and had, and had personal issues, you know, our uh, Linda uh, Darnell kind of had a similar yeah. mark in that, you know, I mean, I think that's not uncommon, unfortunately. That's, um, that's what I was about to say. It's like, that's kind of not uncommon at all, especially from this period that the first half of the last century and honestly hasn't changed 
drastically <laughs> these right. days even like it's only it's actually only feels like it's been getting better in the last like 20 years maybe more than anything else yeah seeing a woman have a career beyond age 30 of any significance kind of a rare thing back then like it's just like okay yeah you can transition into tv or something but we're not putting you on the screen anymore like you know right and, well, and, and I mean, you know, so many of these, I mean, you know, you said Alan Ladd had done like 30 films or something before, mm-hmm. you know, and, and never, it never hit it big. I mean, you could just kind of be a, a working actor kind of working on your thing and trying to, you know, you know, I, you know, you look at like Veronica Lake's career. If you look at her on like Wikipedia, like she did like four films in 1942 and she's yeah. like that many films every year until 47 or 48. And then like dropped out for a year, a few years and then came back and, you know, went away and, did a ton of TV and all kinds of stuff. And, and this is very, I mean, this is just kind of the way it worked in the old studio system. Yeah. You know? um, they, they had you under contract for so long or they, they sold your contract to another studio or you just got dumped altogether and another studio didn't pick you up. And then you were yeah. really fucked or, you know, like Ronald Reagan testified against you and, <laughs> and <laughs> held, called you a communist and you didn't have a career for like 20 years. If, if you were lucky, you know, yeah, you didn't have a career at all. Most people after that kind of shit. The one really big thing, other thing I like about this is much like how the story gets way better as after you hit about the 40 minute mark and it, it actually kind of amps up a lot. It gets really exciting and interesting. I think the visuals do too. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of just, okay, standard black and white looks fine for the most part. And then you get into Laird Krieger's mansion, which is shot like a horror film. Yep. which is really good. Then you get to that uh, chemical factory or whatever, uh, where you know the cops are hunting lead down in the chemical factory and shit, and there's some really good shots there. And then you get to that train yard, and, and you get the daylight, and even then it looks really great. Like the cops up in the fucking hill looking down the train yard yeah. and uh, bright open skies and everything. Really good yeah, stuff. It does, again, it does feel very flat at the beginning, kind of a little bit more uh, generic. But then it, it really is. I mean, and, and, and you know, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to kind of make that determination. But like, maybe it's kind of deliberate to sort of like lull the audience into kind of thinking they know what they're watching until, you know, kind of the the shifts change, the the thematic change in the in the midway point. You know, maybe that's on somebody's mind. You know, it, it's kind of hard to, it's kind of hard to know. You know, seventy years later. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> who knows? There's not really documentation on, on you know, kind of the background of a lot of this. Stuff. But I mean, oh, even if it was a ha- even if it was a happy mistake, it's great because yeah. like even at the end there in that uh, in the office building for the chemical company or whatever with all the marble architecture and stuff and and then they get to the old man uh brewster in his fucking wheelchair that fucking monster who's who's been like orchestrating this whole fucking espionage selling secrets to the enemies stuff and dies from a heart attack in his chair and lads like got cheated out of that too like he did get to kill him he didn't get to shoot the old man in the head <laughs> right no, I like this a lot. It's flawed, but it is. I think it's rightly so considered like a classic of the genre in, in, in yep. the sense that it, it just kind of forecasts what's coming for better films, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely it's definitely worth a watch. It's a you know, $4 rental on Amazon if you're if you're so mm-hmm. inclined. And uh, yeah, check it out. So like I said, uh, budget was around $500,000, give or take. Box office, I have two different conflicting for this as well. The biggest number is $1 million in uh, theater rentals. So at least it it made its money back. It doubled its money basically on, um, yep. on rentals. From Alan Ladd's biography, apparently, someone claims there's about $12 million in ticket sales. 
outside of that. So okay, maybe right. maybe <laughs> <No>. <laughs> so, that, that's that's a that's a very uh, tenuous uh, source, I assume. But you know, whatever. Maybe that's from- adjusted, adjusted for inflation. Who know? I mean, you know, like nobody's <laughs> yeah, really tracking like ticket sales until the early '80s, basically. You yeah, know, just, that's not a thing. You know, I'd greatly question who would who would know find those numbers anywhere in like the first half of the last century. It's like, I mean, it no. wasn't publicized. It's just not a, it's just not yeah. a Except for like the, the biggest movies of their era, you know, like where we kind of like where it would end up in the press where it was somewhere. It's advertising. Right. Yeah. Yeah. DVD and for the, for this universal studios, DVD in t- 2004, or you can get the uh, shout factory Blu-ray from uh, this year. Just came out. So oh, um, nice. that, that's good. And I actually, um, this one, I actually, I just rented on uh, YouTube too. You could just do that if you wanted to. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. A lot of these are available. I mean, I, I like the Amazon interface, so I tend to use Amazon. So, you know, but, um, but yeah, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. Give, give, give Jeff Bezos a little bit extra money. That's, that's a thing. You know, yeah. Just yeah, go ahead. <laughs> you monster. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And uh, two trivia things I'll just mention here before we uh, get into this Lake and lad from this pairing, they went on to do the glass key in 1942 and the blue Dahlia in 1946. And they also appeared in the Star Spangled Rhythm, nineteen forty-two, Duffy's Tavern from nineteen forty-five, and uh, Variety Girls from forty-seven, and Saigon from forty-eight. All Paramount Pictures. So uh, this is all studio system stuff. They they hit it off with this, and they're like, "Hey, we got something here. Let's keep these two going together on a lot of shit." And that's, yeah, that's no, they're, they're great together. It's very mm-hmm. clear watching this. Like, oh yeah, we need to make like eight movies with these two. That's yeah, that's yeah. <laughs> uh, this was also remade in nineteen fifty-seven as Shortcut to Hell and this was the only film that James Cagney directed so oh. uh, yeah that actually sounds like something maybe we should yeah maybe we should look at it at some point yeah, yeah. Uh, and there was also a made for television version uh, in 1991 with Robert Wagner cast as Raven which is just that sounds horrible <laughs> that just sounds wrong I don't know uh, yeah uh, yeah, we're, we're going to play a little bit more music and we'll be right back with our next film. It's high. 
They Almost Lynched from 1953, uh, directed by Alan Dwan, who also directed a million things. Our previous director had like 70 credits or something. Uh, Alan Dwan has like 135 or something, just directing credits alone. <laughs> oh my God, I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. That's amazing. Yeah. The, the, uh, like we're talking about how the previous guy had like, oh, he started in the in the silent era. This guy really, this guy started when films were starting to be made almost. Like, yeah, I know. This guy started in like 1911. That's amazing. Mm. Uh, it was written by Steve Fisher and uh, Michael Fessier. Uh, it's starring John Lund as Lance Horton, Brian Donlevy as Charles Quantrell. And uh, he's from, we, we actually covered him in Kiss of Death. He was like the assistant district attorney or something in that film. Uh, but he's also uh, better known for the two 1950s uh, Hammer Quatermass films, uh, Quatermass mm. Experiment and Quatermass 2. We got Audrey Trotter, uh, Audrey Totter here as, uh, I almost said Twatter. <laughs> you did say Twatter, I was going to let it happen. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Um, yeah. Audrey Totter as Kate Quantrell, or aka Kitty McCoy later on. Uh, and she was actually in the uh, Postman Always Rings Twice in 46, the 46 version. And I guess I, I feel bad. This is one of the ones where it's like I feel bad in having not seen a lot of her stuff because apparently she was known as sort of like the preeminent bad girl in films at this time. Like she, like you need a bad girl in a role. This is the girl you get. She, Angelina Jolie. Well, the 2000s Angelina Jolie of her era. Mm. <laughs> like, You're not wrong. There's a really strong vibe of that here. Uh, she's amazing in this film. Like, those, you know. yeah, those those sharp features and that attitude. Yeah, yeah, it works. <laughs> and those leather pants. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, geez, I forgot to mention too in the in the uh, in the previous review how uh, Veronica Lake she does her second number there in that fisherman's suit, which is basically oh. just a leather dominatrix suit, really. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> 
There's a lot of eye candy in these two films. Anyway, we should move on. Yeah. Uh, we got Joan Leslie as Sally Maris, and she was in, I, I've seen her in High Sierra from 1941 with uh, Humphrey mm. Bogart. And she was actually, it's interesting how they pair these two together because at this point she was kind of known as like the preeminent good girl in films. Like she was, she had this reputation of being like the, you know, the, the kind hearted good girl, all American right. girl that you could, you know, get behind or whatever. So. We have Ben Cooper as Jesse James, James Brown, not that James Brown, not, uh, just some white guy named James Brown as Frank Frank James. If I was if I was with these two actresses in 1953, I would definitely be like, I feel good. I feel good. <laughs> Get down. <laughs> We're going to hell. It's okay. It's, it's all right. It's fine. Even even our atheist souls will go to hell. Nina Varlia as Mayor Delilah Courtney. Ellen Corby as First Townswoman. Fern Hall as Second Woman. Uh, Minerva Urikal as uh, Miss Stewart. Jim Davis as Cole Younger. And Reed Hadley as Bitterroot Bill Maris. And we have a synopsis here from Nuffs. 68 on uh, IMDb laying on the Missouri Arkansas border, the neutral border city, it's female mayor and city council take no side in the ongoing civil war. And they're prepared to hang any troublemaker Yankee or Confederate who stirs the town folks up. Yeah. Okay. That's, that's bad. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't doesn't cover shit. Really? (laughs) That, That covers that covers like the first five the first, minutes. The of, first, the first seven minutes of this film. There, first, there first seven, including the first, including credits. <laughs> that's the that's first seven. Covered. The first seven minutes of smash you over the head exposition to explain what this <laughs> film is about. Right, and uh, we'll get into that. But um, yeah, so Danny, what are your what are your general thoughts on this one? Here, here's where I land on on this one. There are dudes in this film. Dot 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 question mark. <laughs> you know, uh, it's basically a, a, a trifecta, a trio of, of brilliant women mm-hmm. in the film. Uh, with our with our mayor, with the bad girl and the good girl. I, I love the the dynamic uh, among those three. Yeah, there's some eye candy, mm-hmm. sure, uh, of of like you know dudes uh, carrying guns or whatever. But uh, the film isn't isn't really about them. I like the dynamics here. I think they uh <laughs> some weird uh, lost cause politics going on with the civil war. Oh I mean, this God. is kind of in that era when uh the film industry didn't quite well, I mean, I think the culture at large was just sort of like uh, you know, papering over some of the some of the civil war uh, memories. And it's kind of like, oh no, there's no there's no reason to talk about like black people when we're you know about the civil war the the confederacy is a part of our rebel spirit in history and we it should be applauded for that that's the the only thing that we didn't know about the civil war Uh it kind of uh it works on on that level i think it's got some some kind of interesting things kind of going on there uh, if you just kind of forget that it's about the American Civil War and just kind of go, <laughs> oh, it's just about a war. You know, we're just in no man's land. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's completely apolitical. But yeah, no, I, I love those three performances. I do really like the film. Um, I do like the the structure of it. I do um, think that it's it, it's got a whole lot of really strong performances in it. It's got a lot of sort of interesting uh, dynamics uh, among the characters to where it is, uh, you know, it is kind of like, you know, people from two different sides and they're kind of learning to kind of work together. They're learning to love each other. And I mean, you know, it's a little bit of a hackneyed plot, but it really works uh, based on just, just how well it's executed. Um, it's definitely not boring. Um, and oh my God, 
Audrey Totter. Like mm-hmm. you just cannot like she's on screen. You cannot take your eyes off of her. She's amazing in this. Yeah. Um, and uh, that is in no way not to uh, totally give Joan Leslie, uh, you know, kind of kind of equal credit as well. She's less flashy, but I think she she's also phenomenal and and obviously lovely and and all that other stuff. So. Yeah, no, I I really enjoy this. The one thing for me is that I watched this the the YouTube version and I watched it on my on my nice uh, big television, which is nice except for uh it kind of looked like shit. <laughs> yeah, same yeah. My plan is to hopefully actually buy this and rewatch it in a in a nice uh, crisp high def version and uh see see if I can uh, I can enjoy it more with uh, when I can actually see what's happening on the screen <laughs> just yeah. a little bit better it doesn't I mean it's fine it's it, you know you can follow along with it it's not like it looks bad but it definitely looks like grainy as fuck and so you know yeah. that's, that's kind of the one thing with just that this presentation of it um it was it was difficult for me yeah we watched the same version um off YouTube and it's it's obviously a rip from the Olive Films DVD, but it's ripped at like 360p or whatever. Right. So yeah. you, know, you don't want to expand that window. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Um yeah, I'd like this. Man, this is a standard B movie that punches above its weight hardcore. Because yeah. th- there's some really interesting stuff. I, I I do like how they they do that Hollywood thing of the old West is American mythology, basically. It's our fairy right. tales. So we can take Quantrell and his raiders who are basically just a bunch of Confederate thugs and murderers. And they do acknowledge that at least in this film, yep. which you know, mm-hmm. kudos to them for that. And yes, the younger brothers and the James brothers ran with him at the, at that time, uh, the James younger gang, the opening expedition exposition is terrible in this. I, I gotta yep. say like, I, I, I can't look past it because there's this whole scene where there's this woman who, clearly has lived in this town for years like questioning what's going on in this town why was there a lynching what's going on and then we have the mayor basically explain well this is a border town and my (laughs) foot here is in the confederate and this here is in the fucking north you call this the as you know bob scene yeah as you know bob this is a confederate town uh, it's it's uh, that's really bad. But then for an obvious B picture, we immediately get in some like really great shots. Uh, you get the yep. uh, initial ambush of the uh, stagecoach. You have a POV shot on the stagecoach, which is awesome. I love mm-hmm. that. Um, I love the stagecoach wreck. That looked really good. Although I feel like some horses might have broken their legs in that scene at some point. It was, it was 1953. Yeah. Nobody cared about any of that at this point. You know? <laughs> but I mean, then you get. You get Audrey Totter, who's just Anne Margaret level sexy and beautiful and like loves being bad. I, I probably should have mentioned this when I when we had the chance to talk about what we we're watching, but I, I watched the Cincinnati Kid for the first time and Anne oh, Margaret's yeah. in that. And goddamn reminded me a lot of Anne Margaret in that where she's just she just loves being bad. Like she just she just rel- just eats yeah. it up. But yeah, there's some interesting stuff in here. And this is this actually predates uh, Johnny Guitar. Yeah, by it was made a the same years. year. Okay, no, same year, same but, year okay. um, but similar similar dynamics. I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. You got this uh, matriarchal town. It, it's it's run by matriarchy instead of uh, patriarchy. A lot of the power structure is kind of just as vile and shitty as a as a male controlled one would be. Uh, mm-hmm. Because you know you, you you obviously got like the mayor coded as like the butch lesbian bitch or something <laughs> like that. You know, like who has this like holier than thou uh, moral stance, and so. She looks at any woman who's not, uh, you know, wearing a chastity belt is like someone who should be hanged, basically. Mm-hmm. At, le- at least 
as it starts. Like, right. Uh, one one of my biggest complaints about this movie is, but as by the end, all the problems are solved, and all <laughs> the bad people who survive are now good, and and everything's right. hunky dory. Like, okay, that's 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 shit. But you get the happy Hollywood ending. It's nineteen fifty three. It's just kind of yeah. But there are really good, interesting ideas played yep, within this definitely. at the same time. Um, I, I love Joan Leslie in this, where she is pushing against this backwards thinking matriarchy, where she's much more like the feminist in this, where she, you know, she's oh, yeah. standing up for herself. She's standing up for women. She she rehires all the uh, all the call girls and stuff in her brother's uh, inn or whatever tavern, whatever the fuck it is. Um, brothel brothel yeah brothel just, that's what it is like yeah so they can't she, say that on on screen but it, clearly it's a brothel you know yeah so she stands up for uh you know the the sex workers and stuff like that mm-hmm. and and she you know she's strong-willed and she's not willing to step down she's not willing to have like a bunch of men tell her what to do uh the the guy who reluctantly kills her brother because her brother just happened to be well he's a broken-hearted drunk and he turned bad <laughs> and he deserved to die i guess um but, you know, that guy steps up and is like, well, I should still try to do right by you. Even, you know, like I lawfully killed your brother, but it wasn't a good thing. You know, I feel bad about it. Right. And, and she eventually comes around to him, although he, you know, he's the kind hearted Confederate spy who's like going against Quantrell's Raiders or whatever. It's like, yeah, I don't feel like that ever happened. I, I don't know if that's like historical. <laughs> I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure the Confederacy was all I'm right. Pretty sure there's a lot of stuff in this that is not uh, historical. But, yeah, you know. <laughs> Jesse James is the uh, is the uh, oh, shucks, ma'am, kid who's defending the honor of women. I, I don't know. If that's <laughs> clearly clearly this the coward Robert Ford who's who's doing. That. Yeah. <laughs> Oh shit! No, there's there's a lot of fun stuff in this, and a lot of interesting things to be pulled from it. But at the same time, it is like straight up a Hollywood v western, right? And, you know, I do I do like that at the end, they like the guy just kind of rides up and is like, "War's over," and then like, "Yay!" And then they all kind of dance off to like Dixieland, which yeah, know, is actually is actually like a um, you know inadvertently realistic in the sense that Dixie was both a Yankee and a Southern tune that they were playing at the time. Only in retrospect has it become uh, something that was, you know, it was, it was kind of seen as a piece of Americana only later on has it, has it, has it been seen as something that's like, it's explicitly, um, you know, coded as the Confederacy. Um, Uh. And the original tune seems to have been like written by, uh, a slave. I mean, it was, it's literally, it comes from a, uh, you know, this is, this is disputed, but it does seem to come from a, uh, like a, a tune that the slaves were uh, kind of playing out in the fields or kind of after, you know, in the, in the, in the, um, in the evenings, I, I have to look up the details on that. I don't remember it exactly, but it, I mean, you know, so anyway, there, there's a, there's kind of a complicated uh, history um, there around that, but I thought that was, that was kind of a, both kind of a cringe moment and also like, well, yeah, no, both sides are kind of using that, you know, song historically it kind of makes sense you know we're going to kind of come together it's also yeah you know basically the narrative of birth of a nation if you've seen birth of a nation you know where you know like the real sin the real sin of the civil war was like you know you know keeping all the white people apart brother against brother you know as opposed to you know um slavery etc and you know the blacks had something to do with that oh yeah clearly you know no yeah 
Yeah, we'll we'll leave that there. There's no reason to go any further into that <laughs> yeah, like, no. racist narrative. Um, but <laughs> yeah, no. Um, and then like she has this line. <laughs> Sorry, it's such a great moment. Joan Leslie has this line where um, you know, they're kind of standing near the like near the crowd with her with her new like Confederate boyfriend, and then yeah. it's like you know the camera moves left and they just kind of move slightly away. And it's like, well, we're here in the north now, but you know, I he- I hear down south it's much it's much more uh, habitable, or yeah. you know something like that. And I was just like, you're talking about your vagina. You are talking about your vulva <laughs> right now. That's exactly this is coded language. You're saying I am very very comfortable down south. If you know you what see, I mean. You, you're saying there's some southern hospitality going on. I'm saying there's some southern hospitality happening. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a little southern comfort happening. A little southern comfort. You know? ah, I'm picking up what you're laying down there. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I there, there was one moment in this that I, just made me laugh out loud. And it's not it's not meant to be funny. <laughs> it, it made me laugh a lot. So Joan Leslie's brother gets gunned down. She hears it from upstairs. She comes running down, sees her dead brother. Who killed him and all this shit? It's like, oh, I killed him and I'm sorry about that. And I'm gonna have to protect you now and all this shit. And and then the bartender walks up to Joan Leslie, who now owns the bar. Right. It's like, well, might as well get the fucking night going. Let's start serving some drinks and start getting shit on. It's like he, he just he just picks like his his boss just got murdered. His new boss is here. It's like, well, let's, let's get that, it on. That's let's just that's just a man who's like very focused on like pleasing uh, on bringing in revenue right there. It's like, mm. well, the new boss is here. You better not like fuck up now. <laughs> I need to be bringing in money immediately. No, I love the scene where the guy's like, you know, oh no, I'm going to, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be around. I'm going to make sure you're safe. And she's like, well, I could just kill you. And so where did you get a gun? It's like, I could find one if I needed one. And like tosses her the pistol and then he starts pouring a drink and she just like fires right at the 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 shot glass, and then, and then she throws the gun back to him. It's kind of an amazing little, you know, yeah. again, that sort of like girl power, like proto feminist thing. You know, if this happened, if this was made today, like you know, it would be considered, you know, a bunch of SJW cucks. You know, right? Made this, made this oh, movie. No. You know, uh, some someone would be complaining. Some would be like, oh. Someone pushing their Mary Sue's on us and yeah. shit like that. Like, eh, just shut up. You might as well give her purple hair and a yeah. nose ring. You know. Um, you sure this yeah, isn't no. a Marvel movie with all those fucking <laughs> Mary Sues and fucking cucks and shit? Oh my God, I, Angelina Jolie as uh, Kate Quantrill and um, Brie Larson as Sally Maris. Yeah, that works. remake it, remake it, Hollywood. George Clooney as as Maris's brother, as the drunken fucking owner mm-hmm. who gets gunned down, doing his full uh, "Oh brother, where art thou?" Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's one of his. That's one of his little cards he could pull out. Yeah, yeah, no, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, no. Who would be the racist? The racist Mexican fucking servant. <laughs> let's just cut that character. Yeah, let's cut that character. That, that that might be a problem. That might be a problem. Louis Guzman. That, Louis know, Guzman. That's... Oh, Louis Guzman. No, yeah, no. Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo. <laughs> Uh, I would cast Danny Trejo, but that man cannot move anymore. Like. <laughs> okay. 
I, 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 I don't want to diminish him, but like the man cannot move anymore. Yeah, Guzman, Guzman, fucking Guzman, just fucking rocking it and bringing <sighs> some dignity and pathos to a throwaway character in this movie. Who's yeah. just like the comic co- comedy Mexican. Oh no, Senorita, don't do that! It's like, well, uh, uh, Michael Pena would be good as well. Ah, uh, there you go. That, that's actually that's actually a better choice. Yeah, yeah that works. That works. Who do, um, who do we get to play uh, the Butch Mayor? Let's see, uh, you know, <sighs> Kathy Bates, Melissa McCarthy. Melissa, yeah, yeah. If you're going younger, yeah, yeah. Oh, <laughs> if you if you want to go like super radical or something like like Queen Latifah or something like that instead, like oh oh, th- this border town's run by a black woman, motherfucker. <laughs> How do you like that, Confederates? <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Oh, I like that idea. That that there's a lot of good stuff you could do with that. Beyonce, Beyonce, Beyonce. <laughs> she'd totally be an archie little western. Not sure. Mm. Uh, I think we just made the worst movie ever. <laughs> I think it was fine until we started like let's let's cast. The the like yeah no okay we're going to move on from this, this yeah. is going, we're, we're going down the drain yeah one other thing I'll say about this I don't really buy Audrey Totter as reforming I kind of yeah didn't, no. I didn't like that at all yeah I, honestly this movie should have kind of ended more on the gunfight it should have built up to the gunfight and ended there and then they could have went you know they could have fast forward in the last ten minutes all this bullshit uh, because I I don't care about the, the Union Army running down Quantrell's fucking raiders and shit and yeah. all shooting at each other like that stuff's just typical Hollywood cowboy shit I don't give a fuck about you you got to put it in there it's part of your part of your action stuff it's also I mean this is ninety minutes which it's not long but it was kind of mm. long you know it's it's definitely you could see this being an 80 minute movie. You know, it, it does feel like it, 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 it overstays its welcome slightly. It's not bad, but it overstays ever so slightly. I like the idea of it being uh totter and, um, and Joan Leslie competing against each other and fighting each other, like yeah. everything else in the background. And it all culminates on their gunfight. And then Leslie kills totter. I mean, they have a straight up like fight in the middle of the film. I mean, you know, mm-hmm, like, fight, it's yeah. really, it's really their their film, you know. Um, and you get background on Todd's character where she's become this cruel, manipulative, nasty person because Cantrell has like beaten her into submission, basically, yeah. like and turned her into a miniature version of himself. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of interesting stuff. Like I, I actually. Out of the two movies we watched tonight, I kind of like this one more, even though yep. this one is kind of cheaper and and like the dialogue's even worse in a lot the of places. High, the high points of um, this gun for hire are definitely higher, mm. but the film experience itself, I think, uh, "Woman They Almost Lynched" is a better film overall. But yeah. there's stuff that's in this gun for hire that's like really phenomenal, and there's nothing quite that reaches that. In Woman They Almost Lynched, but I do think that the overall experience of like watching it and kind of as a film, I, I do I do really like this one, you know. So Yeah, agreed. No trivia for this. Uh DVD info, all films, DVD or Blu-ray from twenty fifteen. Best sort of way to get it if you want to own it. And uh it is on YouTube, like we said. Uh it's probably in other places as well. But, you know. Yeah. There are there are ways of finding this. No, I may very well buy it and rewatch it just to see, you know, what it looks like in in um in high def, and not just for the leather pants. No, um, I will say my wife, my wife definitely kind of 
looked up, <laughs> you know, she was sitting next to me for like the first like uh, you know, hour and fifteen minutes of this and then she had to go to bed. But she was definitely on that kind of, you know, you know, when uh when Audrey Totter kind of walks on on screen, you mm-hmm. know, I just kinda give her the poke and she goes like, Oh, hello. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a strong element of that. It was it was pretty phenomenal. So. Inter- interesting to see like two lead like actually no three three lead females in this era. Yeah. So you got Lake, you got uh, <sighs> Totter, and and you got uh, Leslie, and they're all like they're pretty petite females. Like they're like it's it's not the sort of typical body image that you'd you'd have for a lot of starlets around mm-hmm. this time. Kind of yeah. like a lot of them are more like the Marilyn Monroe type, you know, more more sort of curvaceous. These are like the sort of like perk, perky, petite women, right? Yeah, yeah. interesting. Yeah. Well, and and I mean, there is this kind of sense of you know, like in these kind of like B movie programmers, there there is this kind of idea that you know, again, as long as you deliver the goods, as long as it's kind of got the action stuff, and as long as it's sort of going to make its money, it's going to give you those beats. Mm-hmm. You could kind of do like we're going to put kind of some kind of quote-unquote strong female characters in this, you know, like, yeah. Joss Whedon didn't invent that in 1995, you know, really? <laughs> you know, B- like, Buffy was not the first female feminist character in all oh, of media. Man. Like, I, I'm sorry to tell you this, Lee, but, you know, no. Like, Goddamn, you know? my, my childhood is shattered now. Yeah, no. Um, and that's part of what, that's part of what you love about these. It reminds me a little bit of the, uh, what's it called, Five Guns West that we did with uh, Dorothy Malone. Uh-huh. Who had uh you know who's another one of those kind of like like stronger characters um in one of these and and it's because like they did write her as a woman as a you know as this character, but also like they give her a ton to do she's got a real characterization there you know and it's not just sort of arm candy for a for a strong guy you know and I, and i and i like that you know i I like seeing that it's nice to see in nineteen fifty three somebody was thinking on that level and you watch this film and like, yeah, there's some fetish fuel in this. There's some, <laughs> there's yeah. some, there's some stuff that like, you know, clearly somebody was probably not doing this for, you know, like strong empowerment of, of, of women, you no. know, like, well, I mean, they, you know, they used, I mean, on, on the, the poster images for this. Oh uh, they, yeah. They, they have totter all over this and they have her with like, bigger breasted on the actual poster image and the like cleavage just flowing out. Like she's, she's not a super like fucking D cup or anything like, and she's, you know, she's perky and attractive and everything, but she's never in this movie. Do I recall her showing cleavage or anything like that? No, like, no, there's nothing like that in, in the <laughs> film. No. And, and in the, um, there's another poster. There's, there's the one that's sort of like on the, uh, on the Wikipedia page, but there's a, there's a broad, there's like a broadsheet. It's a little bit of a wider, and you, and you get a, like a, a shot of the the Joan Leslie on a horse, like about to be lynch scene, and that's got some like fetishy elements. And yeah. this is that era. This is yeah. just, I mean, you know, they they were they you could you could kind of play with those images, but you couldn't ever admit that that's what you were doing. You know, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny that like it, it's in the artwork. You know, they they were selling the film on sex, and that that's not the film they made. No, you know, which is. Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of buried in the film. I mean, it's not, it's not, not there, but it's definitely not, you know, nearly as overt as, uh, you know, like, you know, this isn't the Russ Beyer version. Let's put it that way. No, definitely not. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and Russ Meyer would have had a big, bigger breasted women in that. That's for sure. Well, yeah, sure. Yeah. They all would have had their fucking like cleavage busting out and shit. Like the, the, the first shot. Um, 
But yeah, okay, so uh, next episode, we're just going to be covering one film. We're going to be covering A Muck Train from 1989. We're just swerving off the fucking tracks after these two films. Mm-hmm. We're going straight up Italian B-horror at this point, and sure. it's going to be something. We're going to see what Paul, what the fuck Paul's doing, because uh, we haven't had him on in a while, and uh, I think that'd be right up his alley to get him back on here as well, so uh, we'll be doing that. And uh, yeah, until then, Daniel... Where can people find you on these interwebs? You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Daniel Lee Harper. I also do another podcast, which yada yada, you've heard this before, talking about Nazis, terrible people who, you know, put people on kill lists and possibly myself got on one yesterday. Um, it's great fun. It's called I Don't Speak German. I don't speak German. Lipson.com. Check it out. You can find the rest of our stuff at tmbdos.podbean.com find this podcast you can find all our sort of sub podcasts that we do uh, you can find our links to Apple Podcast, Facebook YouTube and you know go to our Facebook group best place to get in contact with us and find out what's going on leave suggestions for and recommendations for movies to cover and yeah until then Next time we're going to be covering a muck train like I said and that should be a lot of fun uh, that'll definitely be a divergence from the material we cover in these two films but uh hey i, I tried to i tried do. to weird i tried to weird it up with the jeff williams no, no, stuff that's a, so. the way we need to we need to the zig and zag that's mm-hmm. that's the goal you know we've done we did like a month and a half of sherlock holmes like let's you know yeah let's 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 fuck the audience up let's do that <laughs> yeah so uh Uh, Thank you, Dan. Thank you guys for listening. And come back next time to get fucked up by us. Yeah, that's it. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Away down south in the land of traders, rattlesnakes and alligators. Right away, right away, come away, come away, right away, right away, come away. Where cotton's king and men are chattels, union boys will win the battles right away. Come away, right away, come away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must find his Uncle Sam away, away, away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away, away. We'll all go down to Dixie. I wish I was in Baltimore, I'd make secession traders roar right away. Right away, come away, come away, right away, right away, come away. We'll put the traders all to rout. I'll bet my boots we'll whip them out right away. Right away, come away, come away, right away, right away, come away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must find his uncle Sam away. Oh, may 
our stars and stripes still wave forever or the free and brave right away. Come away, right away, come away. And let our motto ever be for union and for liberty right away. Come away, right away, come away. We'll all go down to Dixie, away, away. Each Dixie boy must understand that he must find his Uncle Sam away. You have been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Site. For other episodes, our links to Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and our Facebook group, as well as links to podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through. <laughs>